0: How many devices do you have that are in your house that you have to reset sometimes? So we, we've talked the last couple weeks and said, obviously, a computer is one of those that a lot of times you got to, if it locks up on you or it freezes or it's moving slowly and you think something is wrong and it won't turn off. I've had mine like, you know, you hit the power button and it won't, you have to push and hold. And then finally, it goes off and you think, well, I hope it comes back on. And um, you know, you have to reset it. You have other devices in your house, maybe, maybe like me, a DVR. I've had to reset it or even unplug it, plug it back in somehow to, to get it functioning properly. Something was wrong. Something was off. It was kind of slow, and it, it needed to get back to where it, its original design and, and work the way it was supposed to work. Well, uh, we have quite a few things in our lives that need that that need to be reset and kind of restarted from time to time. Well, I, I, gotta, I have an, a, another question. Does anybody in here ever feel like your life needs to be reset? Like, maybe it's, it's functioning kind of slow. Are you thinking, man, I used to be able to, this used to work, and for some reason it's not working. Uh, maybe, maybe you feel like your life has a virus, and you know, <laughs> we got to reset this thing, get it, get it functioning properly. You know, some, some things come on when they're not supposed to, Maybe your mouth, and sometimes things <laughs> turn off when they're not supposed Why to. Why look at me when he said that? I don't. I'm, we didn't say that in the first service. That came up right now. Lord. It must. It that must was be not God. the Lord.
1: No, that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so anyway, you got you got things in your life that they're just not working the way they were designed, <laughs> and you would like to start it again and say, "Let's get a fresh start." Well, that's what this whole series is about. Uh, we're, we're talking about a spiritual reset button that you and I can push that will kick things off again, that will start, all, you know, start things over again, get them working right.
1: All right. So we find this spiritual reset button in the Bible in our theme scripture that we've been looking at each week. This scripture takes place in a conversation that Jesus had with a religious teacher of the day. And he came and said, what's the greatest commandment? And I picture the guy just kind of like, what is the most important thing? Because in their religion, they developed a system of literally hundreds of laws. They felt like they had to keep all of them. Some came from God, but they had added a bunch. And so it was just oppressive. It was a whole nation of oppressed, depressed people, because in their mind, they were all failing. And so this guy says to Jesus, basically, help me out. Help me out. What's the most important thing so I can at least focus on that and get that right? And Jesus was willing to help him. And so look at what Jesus said. This is in the Gospel of Mark. And what we've done is choose a fresh, modern translation of this uh, passage of Scripture and ask all of us to memorize it. So you may have known it in another translation, but this will help it become, I believe, more fresh to you as you try to memorize this. Just say it out loud a couple times a day, read it out loud, and you'll have it. Probably a bunch of you already do. So let's read this out loud together right now. Ready, go. You are to love God with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you, and with all your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. So it's about love. It's about love. This reset button is about love. The epicenter of our life that God created, the very center of it, should be loving God, and loving people.
0: So life's reset button is love. The number one most important thing that Jesus said uh, is love. Um, I want you to recognize for a second something that He didn't say. He didn't say, "Here's what the most important thing is in life, and that is that you get everything right, that you that you are perfect." that you are flawless and you never make a mistake. He, that is not the number one commandment from God. Thank goodness. Um, he didn't say the number one thing is if you become a saint and you do a lot of great things, that that is the number one commandment. That, that's not what it was. The reset button is love. The most important thing to Jesus that you and I do is love. In answering this question, Jesus actually gives five dynamics of love at this reset. He, four of them are about loving God, and one of them is about loving people. To, to love it is this, to, to give with no demand for a return. I'm going to love with no demand for something in, in return. Um, I'll admit this, what I'm about to say was Ed's idea earlier this week. <laughs> I didn't admit it the first service, so y'all are getting some truth here today. <laughs> yeah,
1: you just feel bad for what you said earlier. That's, yeah, I stole his mean. line. Yeah. I totally stole
0: his yeah. line. How many of you guys bought something? If you, Well, maybe I shouldn't ask this, but I'm going to ask it. How many of you guys bought something for your wife or your, you know, your, your girl for Valentine's Day? Wow. Sorry, girls. (laughs) Um, For those of you guys that did or or any of you gals bought something for your guys, I got a toolbox, like toolbox for for Valentine's Day. Uh, But how many of you guys gave that heart that this is my love, will you be my Valentine rose, and you expected something in return? Or how many of you just gave it because you, I just love you and I'm going to give it to you? To really love is to love with no demand for a return. Love God and love people that way. Love, love is a verb, it's an action, it's something that we have to do. You have to put it into motion. You can't accidentally love someone. Man, I didn't know I loved that person. That was an accident. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. You choose and you purposely love people and you purposely love God. It's an action with a desire to interact with someone in a give and receive relationship, even though you're not expecting them to give something back, most likely they will. You're just on a roll. You you want to take my section? Here we go. In message number one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) In week one, we talked about the dynamic of heart love, loving God with our heart. And we talked about what that looked like. Last week, we talked about the dynamic of loving God with our will, the energy of our being. We have it in our translation today. Now, the next specific dynamic of loving God is this. Jesus said... You're to love God with every thought that is within you. Every thought. So why is that important? Here's a verse from Ecclesiastes that helps us begin to understand why it's so important what we think about. Wise thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking leads to wrong living. Pretty direct. Doesn't need a lot of explanation, does it? But God's tried to tell us it's it's really simple. Right thinking, right living, bad thinking. Bad living. So, thinking determines how we live. Thinking determines how we live. We have our emotions and our will. We've talked about those things, but the beginning is our thoughts. Our thoughts lead to emotions and decisions and what have you. Tell me or think about this statement. Every good, positive, beautiful development in your life has come as a result of some good thinking. Something good happened, and part of it was you were thinking right and and heading the right way. Now, the opposite is true, too. Lots of bad stuff in our life is a result of bad thinking, just like this verse from Ecclesiastes says. Let's look at another verse. This is from the book of Romans. The apostle Paul is speaking to the guys there in Rome, and he's encouraging them, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Don't be like everything around you. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. You know, we talk a lot about spiritual growth and wanting God to work in our lives. We're going to do this whole series on freedom uh, coming up soon. And the idea is that God just wants us to get more and more of him and that our life changes. And how does that happen? What's the fundamental thing God does? Where does he work? Right there at the end. You become a new person by changing the way you think. That's God's idea. He wants to help you think right. So personal growth, personal spiritual growth happens as we let God adjust our thinking. So that leads to the next point in your notes.
0: Our thinking affects our awareness of God's presence. The way we think affects how aware we are of you know, if God is, is there or not. Let me, let me explain this, but let's first read Philippians chapter 4. Starting in verse eight, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, worthy, think about such things. Um, I bet you that nobody in here could come up with something wrong with thinking about that stuff. Oh no, you shouldn't think about things that are true. Don't do that. No, I mean, all of those things are like, yeah, of course. I, we, that would be really helpful if I thought that way. Well, what if you made it a habit of focusing your thoughts and focusing on things that are true? Maybe instead of things that are, you know, fake and, and you know, like lies and made up stuff. Let's, let's focus on things that are true. What, what if you, you focused on things that are noble instead of things that are trashy? Your life is going to follow your thought process. What if you thought about you made it a habit of thinking of things that are right instead of things that are underhanded? You know, what can I get away with? Well, what about thinking you think about things that are pure instead of excuses for why you're you're not? Think about things that are lovely and think, instead of things that are, are life sucking and that will depress you. Think about things that are admirable instead of things that are shameful or things that are excellent. And praiseworthy instead of things that are half hearted and lazy. If you adjust the way you think, what if one day you, for 24 hours, you held up your thoughts to these standards? What's gonna happen? Well, you're gonna begin to go the way you're thinking. Now, if you wanna hang around with somebody, you wanna be close to somebody, you're gonna think about them. And you're going to think about the things that are, are are good to them, and that you're going to you're going to care, and your thoughts are going to go that way. I mean, I mean, you, you know it's true. You we've we've talked to folks before, and a lot of times it happens when you're young. Know, I mean, I just all I can think about is her twenty four seven. Well, you're you know you're 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 thinking about well, that person, so it's drawing you to them, and you're around them more. The same thing happens. With God, you you become more aware of the fact that God's there when you're thinking about these things. They they, they pull you towards God. Here's what happens, and we're going to read the end of what I just read Philippians 4. This is the end of verse 9. We do all these things, we think this way, and the God of peace will be with you. When I adjust my thinking and I hold my thoughts to a certain standard, God's with me. I mean, we're reading it right here. The way you think can lead you to God or it can lead you away from God.
1: Now, there are two aspects to how we think, okay? What I think about and how I think. Those are the two sides of the coin of thinking. What I think about, the subject, and then how I think about it, kind of my method of thinking. So the what focuses on information becoming knowledge. I mean, our culture is just inundated with information. Stuff's always coming at you. You don't even have to look. And so this information, we even have a term called data overload. You know where does information overload? But then as we process information, it becomes knowledge and understanding. We even have a phrase for that that says, knowledge is power. And, and I get that, but I want to ask a question. Is that really enough? Is knowledge by itself enough? Even Bible knowledge, as much as we say, read your Bible, let God speak to you in the Bible. But just knowing the Bible, is that enough? Well, I believe it's the other side of the coin of our thinking that makes the difference. The how focuses on applying knowledge correctly. Applying knowledge correctly, and the result is what the Bible terms as wisdom. Wisdom. Uh, let me give you an example. Say you're a parent, and, and you have some pretty good knowledge about parenting, you know some principles you've learned from God through the Word of God how to raise your children. And so you're like, okay, God, help us. And so you got little Johnny and you're dealing with little Johnny and man, it seems to work the way you're being a parent and guiding him and he's responding well. And then you go, okay, here's little Susie growing up and you try the same thing and it doesn't work. You're like, wait a minute, what's the problem? This is the same principle I'm trying to apply to Susie and it's not working. Well, Sometimes the reason is even the correct knowledge doesn't accomplish something if it's not applied wisely. And so wisdom helps a parent know, now, my kid's like this, so I'm going to raise them like this. This kid's more like this. It can help them in a different way, using the same biblical principles, but letting wisdom help you apply them well. So that's what we're talking about. Wisdom is our goal. God wants us to be wise so that our lives are blessed. Okay, here's another thought about thoughts. <laughs> Psalm 101, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. In other words, this psalmist is saying, I'm not going to put any garbage into my life, into my mind, into my thoughts. I won't do it. And why is that important? Jesus talked about it. In the Gospel of Mark, look what Jesus said about garbage in thoughts. He says, all these evil things begin inside a person In the mind. Paul's right there. Whoa. He's like, hey, bad stuff comes out because the thought was bad. All these evil things begin inside a person in their thoughts, in their mind. And then look at this list evil thoughts, sexual immorality, stealing, murder, adultery, selfishness, doing bad things to other people, lying, doing sinful things, jealousy, saying bad things about people, pride, and foolish living. Jesus was saying to these guys, hey, your thinking matters. It matters a lot. So we really need to closely monitor our mental input, what we put into our minds. Guys, it matters a lot. There's a term you may have heard, garbage in, garbage out. You put garbage into your life, into your mind, you're going to produce garbage, and it's going to smell. (laughs) What are some examples of some of the garbage that sometimes gets into our mind?" Just the whole world of media, books, radio, TV, whatever, all of those things can be fine, but there's a lot of garbage out there too in there. And if we let that fill us, it'll be garbage in, garbage out. Now, one of the most destructive types of garbage in the world is pornography. I mean, the statistics are terrible and how many relationships are being ruined by this stuff. And now, recent research has shown more and more women are watching pornography and it's damaging even more and more people. So pornography is garbage. You know that. So what does wisdom do? Wisdom says, I'm going to take whatever steps to shut porn out of my life. I'm going to get a filter on my computer or whatever I need to do. I'm going to take steps because I know this could kill me in a sense. So I'm going to wisely take action. So that's an example of how we turn knowledge into wisdom and we benefit greatly from it. You turn your knowledge like that by taking precautions about what comes into your mind and into your thoughts.
0: So each week we've been taking a a person from the Bible and using them and some of the things they've done as an example of the the reset button we're talking about. Today it's the 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 way we think our loving God with our, our mind. And today we're gonna use a guy named Solomon. As a matter of fact, he Solomon was the king of Israel. Uh, for a good amount of time, he, it was from 970 to 330, I mean, no, no that was, that's crazy. 970 to 931 B.C., uh, and uh, he was kind of young when he started, 20 to 30 years old, and here, here's the story, the backstory to this. Solomon was following God, and, and he was giving it everything he had, and, and God actually came to him and said, hey, Solomon, what, uh, what do you want? Anything you want, I'll give it to you. You can have it. And Solomon said, "Well, you've given me all these people that I'm I'm the king over this nation. I need wisdom to to help them. I need wisdom to lead them well." And God said, "All right, you got it. As a matter of fact, since you 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 know Solomon, you could have asked for you know to live longer than anybody. You could have asked for riches. You could have asked for fame. Could have asked for all. Asked for all these things. But what you asked for was wisdom." And so I'm going to give you that wisdom, and you're going to have all that other stuff, too, just because you have connected with me. So Solomon becomes known as the wisest man ever to live. I mean, he he just had it. He wrote some stuff in the Bible. Ed's going to point out here in a minute. And so looking at Solomon, this super wise guy, let's let's look at the story. (laughs) this guy that was super wise. And let's look at what happened. There's a couple ladies that were living in his day in the kingdom, and they they both had infants. Well, they both lived in the same house, and one lady woke up in the middle of the night, and she discovered that she had smothered her child. They slept in bed with her, and somehow she smothered him. He was dead, laying beside her. So she picks up her little boy and goes and, puts it down by the other lady and she takes her little boy who's alive and goes and lays back down with him. Well, when you know, when everybody wakes up in the morning that the one lady discovers that well number 1 this ain't her kid and number 2 this kid's dead. And so uh, you know, they, they call the cops and and hey, what's something's up here? We got to take This lady says, you know, she's like, "No, this is my baby. The live one's mine and uh-uh, this is, so they end up before the king to decide this matter between them. Well, here's what happens. First kings chapter 3, they tell him the story, then the king said, "Let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours and each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right. Bring me a sword." So the sword was brought to the king. Then he said, Cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other woman. Now imagine if you were there and you're like, What? Wait, king, you're supposed to. I thought you were smart. What good is it going to do to kill this child? Now, then have two, two dead children. I don't understand this. But the king was using wisdom. Here's what happened. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out, oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman, (laughs) this woman was ruthless. The other woman said, all right, he'll be neither yours nor mine, cut him in half. You can have half, I'll take half. Well, I mean, this is crazy. But now now you can see what, what Solomon was doing. Then the king said, do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she is his mother. He was using wisdom there. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. I want you to listen very, very carefully. God wants to give us wisdom that will bless others and glorify him.
1: So Solomon, as uh, Chad alluded to, wrote some great stuff. And one of the major things he wrote is the material we have in the book of Proverbs. Most of it came from him. And in Proverbs, we have a wealth of practical wisdom that we can apply to our lives. You, uh, to define a proverb is it's a succinct, very clear, brief word picture of truth. A proverb describes truth in a brief way that creates often a picture for you to understand it. In Proverbs, we have lots of great material. There's stuff in there on relationships, like marriage and friendship. There's a lot of stuff on money and business and how to manage money. There are things in there on parenting, how to do a good job as a parent. There's, uh, Proverbs gives us some great insight into the importance of our words. And so we want to take a look at a few examples of these Proverbs that Solomon wrote you have the references there in your notes if you want to go back and read them later. Here's the first one, Psalm, Psalm, Proverb, 27, 17. In the same way that iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. The same way that iron sharpens iron, a person sharpens the character of his friend. Well, you kind of get that. Well, let, let's kind of demonstrate that a little bit. We're going to have Chad here uh, do the sharpening of the knife here. The first service, I did it, and he said it was bad, so I said, you got to do it. <laughs> Don't cut yourself.
0: Hold on. Okay, I'm on. So you you sharpen the knife. This knife's a little too big for this stone, but...
1: Yeah. Okay, you did do it better than me. Enough, enough. All right. So if you sharpen a knife on a whetstone like that, the knife does get sharper, but the whetstone doesn't change. The, the friction helps the knife, but it actually destroys it a little bit. Microscopically, it's chipping off pieces of the knife to sharpen it. But that's not the picture Solomon has. It's more the uh, Ginsu knife commercial, right? Where he's saying like two pieces of iron. See, I, I can not do this, all right. Like, like this sharpens. So a man sharpens his brother. Here's the deal. Chefs do this Because it keeps their knife sharp, not by destroying any of it like the whetstone, but there's a a microscopic edge, of course. And as it's used, the very tiny edge on any knife gets bent just a little bit, one side or the other, and that dulls it. So when you do that, you help straighten out the bends. And so now let's apply this to what he's saying. A person sharpens the character of his friend. A true friend will lovingly challenge his friend to be better. A true friend loves you enough, cares enough about you to tell you the truth. A true friend will say, hey, this may make you mad. There's that, that, that bit of friction, right? This might make you mad, but bro, when you do that, it's just, man, it's bad. It hurts you. It hurts others. It makes you look bad. Man, consider this area in your life. And it's taking a chance, isn't it? The friend could react. But a true friend lovingly challenges. And as two guys live as friends, they do it both ways. They sharpen each other back and forth. Okay, here's another one. There's danger in putting up security for a stranger's debt. It's safer not to guarantee another person's debt. So here, he's giving a simple business advice, and we would say it this way today. It's dangerous to co-sign a loan. It's dangerous to co-sign a loan. Try to avoid it. Some of you may have done that. I've done it with my kids buying a car. They couldn't get the credit, so I would co-sign. And so what, what's the situation? Now I'm thinking, okay, I hope they pay the payments, and if they're late, it's going to affect my credit rating. And then I got this money issue with my kid. It's just uncomfortable. And the couple of times I've done it, I'm just like, whew, when it's over, because it just isn't the healthiest thing, but I, I did it because I want to help out my kid, Solomon's so wise, he's like, try to avoid any way you can. Avoid cosigning alone. All right, one more proverb. A well-spoken word at just the right moment is like golden apples in settings of silver. Well-spoken word, the right moment, golden apples in settings of silver. So I have some golden apples here. I want to be sure the front row people can see them there. Hold them down a little bit. And uh, we, we got these golden apples uh, solid gold and apples, two for a dollar at the dollar store. And uh, no, actually a friend painted those for me. And so I want you to look at it and think about it. That's the picture he's painting in this proverb, like apples of gold in a setting of silver. So what's he trying to say? Well, I have a couple thoughts of what maybe this proverb is saying. First off, it's beautiful. I mean, who would think a little gold paint would make an apple that beautiful? Well, in Solomon's culture, he had enough gold to have solid gold apples. He really did. And so in their culture, it would been, yeah, I could see that, golden apples in settings of silver. It's beautiful. A word spoken in a timely manner, good advice, is beautiful. But even more than that, the value is huge. The value is huge. I did a little math on the current price of gold and silver. And uh, say these two apples weighed a pound and the the platter weighed a couple pounds, you're looking at 22 grand right there in today's valuations of silver and gold. And so I believe Solomon is saying that word you can speak, that advice you can give somebody, it's beautiful because it can change their life. It is so valuable. And so when I read that, I say, okay, I'm going to look for some good advice from somebody because it can make a huge, huge difference. Look for some good advice before you make a decision.
0: All right, so how do we love God with every thought that, was, that is within us? We're gonna just kind of recap some of the things we said and put them into uh, things we can take home and, and put into work. First would be this. Honestly evaluate your thought monitoring. Honestly evaluate your thought monitoring. W- what are you putting into your mind? The next kind of question that goes along with that is, are you monitoring it at all? Or do you just let in whatever happens to come across the screen, whatever? I mean, you just let everything in? Or have you put a, a standard where you're like, mm, you know, I'm not going to watch stuff like that. I'm, you know, nah, I'm, I don't need to read stuff like that. Uh, you know what? I, I don't really want to listen to things like that. Do you have a standard or you just let everything in? Honestly evaluate your, the way you monitor what you allow into your mind, what you, the thoughts that you allow to come in. Are you focusing on uh, negative things all the time, or are you thinking, focusing on positive things? The list we read, uh, you, can, you have it there in your notes, you can go back and read it again. Which, are you, which one are you focusing on? Which one are you allowing in? Do you have some sort of filter? Do you have some sort of code? You know, in your DVR, you have a code you can put in parental controls. I'm going to tell you something. Well, one of my children is in here today. Um, my kid, my boys, you know, <laughs> we put these codes on our deal, and it'd be like a regular TV on a regular station, so usually the bad stuff's cut out, right? Well, the, the code doesn't know that. It just reads the rating and says, nope, and they like, Dad, can you put the code in for me? <laughs> well, that was frustrating to them, but, you know, um, I was like, well, watch something else. If you don't like it, move out. Um, but do you have something are you actively monitoring your thoughts because it won't happen by accident number two is pray regularly for wisdom wisdom for everyday living as well as for decision making God I need to I need to know what you think about this I want to go your way with this there's a lot of good answers in the Bible by the way but, I, I, God, I, I need your wisdom. I need you to direct me. Pray regularly for wisdom. This is a way you can love God with, your, with every thought of your mind. The, the third one is this. Read Proverbs. Read your Bible. Ed read a few things. Those were just examples, or they were examples that you can use, you and I can put to action in our life. Read Proverbs this week and apply it to your thoughts. Apply those to your thoughts. Think about those things. You know, let, let me try this out. Let me see if this Solomon was as wise as they say he was. Try it. Figure it out for yourself and, and see. Here, here's a few places you can do this. Chapters 1, chapter 1 of Proverbs, great. 6, 11, 20, and 31. You can read them all. Those are some really great ones. And we even got some either. Uh, translations or versions for you to listen. I mean, you can listen to them too, by the way. Or read them in. The passion is one. Uh, it says it maybe in a different way than you've thought or heard before. The voice is another and the New Living Translation. These, these put these Proverbs in, in just a great way and make you really think. And it helps get your thoughts going the right way. Living by the wisdom of the Proverbs can literally change your life. And the reason is because they came from God. If we love God with all of our minds, with our thoughts, then we, me and you, our families, maybe our neighbors, our co-workers, the people around us and the people we come in contact with, all of these people, their lives are going to be blessed. When you and I begin to love God with every thought of our mind, it changes you. Because everything you do and everything you are starts with a thought. We are so glad you came today. Your thoughts matter. Your thoughts matter. My thoughts matter. And this is one of the buttons that you can push. It's part of that loving God reset button to get your life working properly again to get it going the right direction again, to get it functioning at full capacity again. When you love, God will take care of all the stuff under it, and it gets you directed and going the right way. Y'all stand up with us this morning. We want to remind you before we pray uh, there's two things. One is that there will be people up here ready to pray for you personally, like one-on-one or, you know, you have a thing that we didn't talk about today. Uh, somebody will take the time to pray for you. They love you, they care about you, and, and they will take the time to pray for you. The second thing is uh, remember to, to give on your way out. Use the app or go online. And uh, you guys bow your heads, close your eyes, or... You don't have to. It's really not in the Bible to close your eyes if you have. It's just
1: helpful. That's
0: yeah. It's helpful, but you can <laughs> stare at me or bow your head. It doesn't matter. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for every person in here. God, we want our thoughts to, to connect with you. We want to love you with every thought of our mind. We want our lives working the way you planned for it to work. We want, we want things functioning the way you planned. And God, we, we want to focus on your number one command the number one thing that you want for us the number one thing you want from us we want to love we want to love you so god we pray that you direct us and give us your wisdom this week show us areas in our lives that we need to adjust our focus or adjust our thinking or we ask that you help us to adjust the things that we haven't been able to ourselves Pray that you would bless and keep every person in here. Bring us back next week ready to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.